This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbooks, a book club to help you automate and accelerate your professional development. Find out more at leaderbooks.com. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And in this episode, we're talking about something that every leader doesn't like to talk about, but is terminating team members. We're going to tackle this head on and show you how to turn this negative into a positive for your company and even for those you have to let go. This is such an important topic because most leaders either do this badly or they don't do it at all. And whichever direction you make the mistake of going, it can have big consequences for your organization. It sure can. Well, here to help us work through this topic is our senior writer on Lead to Win, Larry Wilson. Welcome, Larry. Hey, Larry. Hey, guys. Great to be here. This really is uh, a, a subject where everybody has, I think, a horror story uh, attached to it. And let me ask you this. What is the worst example of firing that you've ever seen or been personally associated with? Well, you know, the way this typically works is it's behind closed doors, so you don't get to witness this. But the first time I did witness at least the impact of it was early in my career, And this was back in the days before email, even back in the days before fax. So these were, you know, this is prehistoric times. But uh, what happened was at a company I was working for, we laid off about half the sales force. So this was about 10 people. And they all received not a phone call, but a letter in the mail. Oh, it's terrible. And basically what it said was, you're terminated. This is the end of your service. You know, here's a severance, whatever, but nothing personal. Well, I'm going to tell you something that rippled through the organization because everybody knew about it. All the salespeople, of course, complained to their friends on the inside and on the outside. And it became not only a scandal inside the company, but really through our industry, it was just held up as, as an example of how impersonal and cold and brutal this company was. Do you have one, Megan or Larry? I just remember at one place I worked, uh, the, the security guy was named Bill. And uh, if you saw Bill carrying a cardboard box, you knew that somebody was on their way out the door because that's the way they did it. They uh, met you at your desk and your manager fired you, and then they loaded up your personal effects and escorted you off the property. Well, even when I assumed the helmet Thomas Nelson back in 2005 as the CEO, that's how terminations were routinely handled. So it's like, like you said, you know, build a security guy. It's like the Grim Reaper, you know, walk, <laughs> walking through the hallway and he's got his big reaping instrument. And you go, oh my gosh, who is it? Is it me? So yeah, not exactly a healthy way uh, to deal with it. So one of the things that happened when I became the, the CEO, I said, you know, look, we've got to deal with this in a more humane way, in a more healthy way. And because it's creating culture, right? So the way you terminate people Uh, whether or not you respect them communicates so much to your team. And so it's important that we do this well. It's also important that we do it at all. You know, that there are times... There's that too. There are times when it's absolutely necessary and you can also handicap your culture by not terminating people when you need to. So I think regardless, healthy terminations make for a healthy company. Yes, it's kind of like pruning. You know, you've got to have pruning. It, It may look... On the surface, like it's kinder to not do the pruning, you know, just let the plant grow. But if you want beautiful, big, healthy plants, you've got to periodically prune. 
we've got the what, when, and how of termination. And uh, I think we should say up front, we're really talking about termination for cause, and we're not here so much talking about downsizing or reduction in staff that's driven by economic factors. This is about somebody getting fired for cause, although some of the principles, I'm sure, will apply. Uh, So the what of termination is to terminate for underperformance or misconduct. So tell me about that. So there are, you know, basically two reasons that you're going to fire someone, either because their performance is not meeting expectations or because of some kind of violation um, around misconduct. And so in a, in a case of performance, you know, that should be, um, first of all, handled with, you know, you should ask yourself as the leader, have I articulated a clear position description so this person knows mm-hmm. what the expectations are for their role? Also, have I given them a chance to remediate? their performance. You know, if they're uh, turning things in late, if you just don't feel like it's up to snuff, have you had a frank and direct conversation with them about it on, you know, in generally speaking, multiple occasions over a period of time. So you've given them an opportunity to improve. So that's, that's performance. And that's the most common thing that every leader faces that you've got to deal with. And when we have that happen in our organization, we approach it like coaching, you know, we're for that individual. We really want to see the situation improve. We're always asking, what is it about our leadership that's possibly led to the lack of performance? And sometimes that's mm-hmm. um, a failure to provide clarity as a leader. So so that's kind of one scenario. Yeah. So let me just add before we go to the second scenario, I think this is where leaders fail in delegation too, yes. is they're not clear about their expectations. They expect their people to read their minds. And, in, and as it turns out, people don't do a good job reading your mind. And so it's true at home, it's true at work, and we've got to be explicit and we've got to be direct about what we want. If we're not, then oftentimes the reason people don't meet our expectations is they're doing their best to guess, but without clear direction from us, their performance is going to suffer. And it's funny because what happens oftentimes is that leaders are conflict avoidant. And so they're frustrated about something, you know, that their assistant does something this way or somebody else reports to them, you know, and they don't like how it's going and they don't like the results they're getting, but they're conflict avoidant. And so they don't have a candid conversation about what they'd like to see improve. And so they keep getting the same results. And they get more and more frustrated that this person is not meeting their expectations. And then they just finally like throw their hands up and fire them. And that is really not how this should be done. I think we'll get into this more in a minute, but but a candid conversation is the first place to start. And one of our favorite books on that is called uh, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. That provides a great roadmap for how to have some of these conversations. So, so again, that's the Scenario number one, where you're dealing with performance issues. So scenario number two would be conduct issues. So these are things that are violations of uh, behavior or your core values or, you know, of extreme moral situations, those kind of things. There are times when these don't result necessarily in an immediate termination. So let's just use a quick real life example. So explain a situation where there would be a conduct issue. Yes. And a conduct issue that you've experienced where you had to terminate somebody immediately. Yeah. So one of the things that I have experienced is lying, you know, and that we're talking about basic character issues here. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel integrity. like integrity. I feel like I can probably as a leader help you bring up your performance if you have the aptitude and the desire, but I cannot teach character. I mean, that's something that I expect that people come preloaded to our company with. I mean, that's kind of your mom and dad's job. And if, you know, they didn't do it and you didn't get it, I probably can't help you <laughs> get farther. 
other. But, you know, we had a situation where we had someone lie to us directly and repeatedly. And once we discovered that and then uh, brought it to their attention, we realized that we just could not move forward with that person, that there was it was such a violation of integrity that that person could not be trusted to be in alignment on their own with our core values, one of which is unyielding integrity, and that I couldn't stand... Um, to, you know, before our own team and represent what had happened with integrity unless I was willing to make a hard decision. You know, I was accountable to our team to uphold our values, in other words. Okay. So this one is pretty easy because it happened over a period of months. It was egregious. It wasn't just one lie, but it was a series of lies. Yes. And so that was pretty simple to deal with. What happens if this occurred once you caught somebody in a lie and maybe it wasn't, you know, a bald faced lie, but it was uh, you know, kind of a, what we sometimes call a white lie. How would you deal with that? Well, I would deal with it very directly. I would call them out on it. Um, I think that this is not a place for dancing around. Being indirect or passive aggressive is almost always ineffective mm-hmm. as a leader. So I would deal with it directly. I think the second thing is, is I would have a clear process of um, remediation, you know, that there would be some kind of accountability in place. They would be kind of on a probationary period, you know, where I'm really watching closely. And if there is any further violation, that's an automatic termination because trust is essential. You know, that's just mission critical to being able to work together well. Well, we've talked about the what of termination, and that's to terminate underperformance or misconduct, two distinct categories there, but that's what you would terminate for. Let's talk about the when of termination. And what we're saying here is that you terminate quickly. So tell me what that means to terminate quickly. The first person I ever heard say this was Dave Ramsey, and I don't know if it's original with him, but hire slowly, fire quickly. And I think that's exactly how it should be. And our process is notoriously slow. We know it's slow, and it's slow intentionally, because we want to make sure that there's sufficient number of interviews, that we've done the background checks, that we've done the reference checks and all that. But once you come to the place where you're ready to fire somebody, usually you've got you know, a preponderance of evidence, whether it's a conduct issue or it's a performance issue, you know, I think we're, we're pretty slow to, to fire on a performance issue in that, like Megan was saying, we want to coach that person. But after you get to the point where you realize they either can't or won't remediate their action, then it's time to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And, and any attempt to procrastinate on that or postpone that decision does serious damage not only to your team's performance overall, but to your uh, reputation as a leader. Because people are going like, gosh, how could he possibly miss this? Why is he tolerating this? And then there becomes a whole other narrative and a lot of sideways energy. A lot of cynicism in that case if you don't fire quickly enough because everybody knows. In fact, usually your team is going to know before you know that there's a problem because there are behaviors that are going to show up in a peer-to-peer context that are not necessarily going to be as obvious, you know, when they're relating to you as their superior. And so they're holding you accountable to deal with those issues. But you may be almost the last to know, which means you better make it happen quick at that point. You know, I have to say that I know this intellectually, but I'm still pretty slow to fire. It's hard. I think you're much better at it than I am, but I think I, you know, hope springs eternal. I keep thinking, you know, I can fix this. I can fix this person. And I I, I tell you, once I start documenting, this is a clear sign to me. Yes. Once I start documenting performance and what I do is I typically create an Evernote note and I start documenting infractions. 
And we actually have a, a formal document for this now that we use. Oh, we do. Yeah. Okay. You well, I didn't know that. You only have one direct report, <laughs> two direct reports, so it's not a not a big deal now for you. So, and just to let the record be clear, I don't have an Evernote note on you, and I don't have one on Jim, <laughs> oh, who are my two direct reports. But but I know, and it is, I, this has never failed me. Whenever I start, whenever I create that note, it's over. Mm-hmm. It's only a matter of time. Let me ask you a question about that, Michael, because I've, I've been in uh, employment situations where the, the requirement to document poor performance, for example, was so tedious and cumbersome that it, it was virtually impossible to fire somebody. It just took months to do it because you had to, to document uh, your, your interventions and the specific behaviors, and it was a very long process. Yet, that was all in place to avoid basically lawsuits for wrongful termination. Mm -hmm. So how do you balance this where you want to be fair to the employee and you you don't want to leave yourself open to liability, but you have to move quickly? Is there a specific process that you use or do you vary that from time to time based on the individual? Well, that's a process that's administered through our HR manager. Like I said, she has a particular uh, documentation process that she administers when this happens. I think the most important thing, though, is that you begin early. Sometimes what will happen is um, a leader will wait until there have been five or six or more infractions, you know, on performance, for example, before they start documentation. So they're really already at the point when they want to fire, but now they have to wait, you know, a couple of months and document through it again because I didn't document from the beginning. And it is important to document, you know, that that does protect the organization against um, wrongful termination suits. So it's, you know, it's something you got to do. But at the same time, it can't just be documentation. It's got to be documentation plus confrontation. Oh, yeah. Ab- yes, so exactly. just because I've yes. documented a dozen uh, times that this person failed to do what's required of their job right. description, but I've not talked to him about it. That in no sense is remediation or coaching. Right. And I and I owe that person and I owe the organization more than that. Right. So as a part of that kind of time-bound pathway for Im- improvement, you're going to want to work in conversations and check-ins along the way, along with your documentation. I think also as a business owner, you can't eliminate risk. Yep, I agree. You know, there's going to be risk on, on both sides. If you don't terminate that person, there's a risk to your organization. There's a risk to your overall performance, maybe your profitability, maybe your reputation in the marketplace. So that's one side of the risk. The other side, even if you go through all the process, that's still no guarantee that that person is not going to sue you or make some claim, you right. know, that that has no basis in reality. So I think at some point, as a business owner, you just have to exercise judgment. I you agree. have to say the risk here is greater. And so, you know, I'm going to go through the process a little further or no, we're terminating. They might sue us, but we think we've done our homework and, yeah. and this won't stand in court. In general, you know, our process for remediation would be somewhere between 30 and 60 days. So that would be, you know, 60 days would be the outside of it because we really want to get to the place of making a decision quickly and, you know, ideally less than that. But sometimes for performance issues, that's what you need. Now, again, if it's a gross misconduct situation, that's going to be like today. You know, as fast as I can get the paperwork together, mm-hmm. which usually, you know, is going to take half a day to pull that together in most cases for us uh, and, you know, queue up all the offboarding that we typically do tech, you know, tech wise and all that. It's it's over. Megan, can you give me some examples of something that would be an immediate termination? 
Yeah. So some examples would be things like lying, uh, stealing or embezzlement of, of another kind. Um, you know, the, the sexual harassment claim would likely end in an immediate termination once there had been, you know, some type of an investigation that had happened. Um, or if it was observed, you know, like if I observed it happening, then that would be, you know, if there was a witness in that case, it was, it might be a very quick investigation. Um, but those are the kind of things that would be immediate terminations and other kinds kinds of like breach of confidentiality could be huge uh, if it were egregious enough, um, those kinds of things. Okay. So let's say you've got somebody who uh, you're hoping to terminate or thinking you need to terminate um, and they come forward and resign, or maybe when confronted with behavior, they resign. Uh, Is that a good outcome? Well, I think more likely what happens is you're contemplating an issue of underperformance um, and, you know, you're, you're just conflict avoidant again, like we talked about earlier, but you don't really want to fire them. Maybe you haven't done it before or you haven't done it in a long time or you've done it and it went really badly. And so you you think that it, eventually they'll just quit, you know, or you think maybe you'll offer them the opportunity to resign instead of be terminated. And you think maybe that would be better for your morale of your company. It would be more humane to them. And it's a really easy trap to fall into particularly if you're either inexperienced, conflict avoidant, or frankly, weak, you know, I mean, I have done this myself for all those reasons at one time or another. And when I look back on it, I just feel kind of sick about it, mostly because it's dishonest. You know, it's it's not honest that they resigned. It's also not helpful in the end for them because they're not having it might be helpful in the short term because it would make it easier for them to get another job if they could say that they resigned, for example. But it's not helpful in um, any kind of behavioral change or or wake up call. You know, sometimes what people need is a good firing. (laughs) Um, I think I think it depends. I I may have to take issue with you a little bit. I think in general, what you're saying is right. And definitely if it's a a misconduct issue, that's absolutely right. I would not give them the opportunity to resign. But if it was a performance issue, I think there's two things. If they're being just, you know, lazy or not applying themselves or whatever, then I would absolutely terminate them. But if they were really making a good effort and it turns out that we simply put the uh, person in the wrong position. I agree with you. That's a good caveat. uh, and, And maybe the person just can't do what we're asking of them to do, and it's just a talent or strengths-based yes. issue, then I would have a, an adult conversation with them and give them the opportunity to resign. So I, I couldn't place them somewhere else yep. in the organization. So I think like a lot of management and leadership issues, it's it's oftentimes, it, it comes down to judgment. Yeah. It's not like we can, can set out a set of rules and a protocol for doing this. I think that's a really good way to distinguish between the two, because I think in the end, if it's really your fault as a leader, you know, because you've got them in the wrong role. I and mean, ultimately, that's your responsibility to place people in a situation where they can win, you know, where they're uniquely gifted to do the work that you've asked mm-hmm. them to do, then I think that's a great provision to make. I think, you know, the the flip side is, though, if you offer resignation when you really need to fire or you wait and hope for resignation, even worse, it's a passive, aggressive way of dealing with the issues that are on the table. And it can drag out so much longer. And what happens is your staff will begin to think you just don't have the backbone to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, or there's something wrong with the organization because everybody keeps quitting. Right. Which is a problem. You don't want either of those. I mean, at a certain point, you're, 
you're really making a statement about your competency as a leader with how you handle these situations. Um, so I would use that kind of wild card of offering resignation only in very particular situations. And otherwise, I think termination is usually the right path. Great point. Hey, team. Mike Boyer here from Michael Hyatt & Company. Before we dive back into this episode, take a minute and follow Michael Hyatt on Instagram. Here's why. There you can get the latest news on new product releases, plus some behind-the-scenes posts on Michael's personal productivity routines. And don't forget to check out the show notes for today's episode at lead2.win. In addition to a complete transcript of the show, you'll find an article by John C. Maxwell on four steps to developing a diverse team. That's an exclusive for listeners to this podcast, only available at lead2.win. Finally, a reminder to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Just tap subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen, and you'll never miss another episode. Now, back to the show. Well, we have talked about the what of termination, terminate for underperformance or misconduct, the when, which is to terminate quickly. And that brings us to the third element, which is how. And here we are saying to terminate people with respect and dignity. You know, what I want is whenever possible, and it's not always possible, but whenever possible, I don't want that person to hate me or hate the organization. If it's a misconduct violation, then hopefully in the conversation, they own it, but they don't always, but they own it. And they will say, you know what? You dealt with me fairly. We went through the process. I was guilty. I had it coming, you know, but it's not always going to happen. You know, because people that are in a misconduct situation or they may be in denial, they may be unwilling to come clean on it. Same thing with performance. You know, I think what I'm what I would be holding out for for those people is that they felt like they were respected, they were dealt with truthfully. That's a key component. You know, that we that we let them know at every step of the way, we we're giving them honest feedback, we gave them a chance to remediate their behavior so they could leave the company saying, you know what, it didn't work out, but they gave me an honest shot at it. I always say nobody should be surprised when they get fired. Right. Whether it's for misconduct or performance, you should never be surprised unless you just have such a character deficit that you don't have any moral compass. No self-awareness. Yeah. And you don't know that what you've done is wrong. But if you have any self-awareness and you have, have a conduct violation that's egregious enough to be you know, fireable, that should not surprise you. And if you're being fired at the end of a, you know, lengthy improvement process for performance and you haven't, you know, met the benchmarks, you should not be surprised. That makes for a more humane, dignified termination process, because then you're not dealing with people who are like, what? I had no idea this was coming. I agree. So I think to get clear on that outcome and and just to put a marker in the ground and say, you know, we're going to deal with people in a way that respects them, in a way the way that's humane, and in a way that, you know, anybody looking at it from the outside in, whether it's our own employees or somebody that, you know, was the, the opposing counsel, mm -hmm. that they would say, you know what, you did the right thing. Okay, so there are a few ways that you can make this uh, happen practically. First of all, whenever possible, terminate someone in person. 
You know, if if you absolutely have to do it over Zoom or some other video conference, um, but you want to do it in the most personal way possible. That's part of how you honor people. Secondly, choose a time of day that your office is as minimally populated as possible because this person's going to come into your office and they're going to have to leave having been terminated. And the walk of shame is not something anybody wants to do. So as much as you can minimize the embarrassment to somebody, the better. So that means, you know, doing it before your office opens or late in the afternoon or evening, you know, after most people have left, that would be helpful. Don't pick the busiest time. Um, it can also be helpful to do it on a Friday, you know, do it at the end of the week, not the beginning of the week. That can be helpful for your team in terms of their morale, you know, so it's not just kind of hanging in the air all week long. People have the weekend to process it. Um, but those are just some ways that you can uh, be intentional about honoring people. Consider, of course, whether severance is appropriate, other benefits that will be extended, you know, for some period of time, like insurance and things like that. Um, Just, you know, consider the questions that they may have. And certainly, again, if the situation is egregious and there's a conduct issue, some of these things are going to be harder to do. And that's okay. I mean, it's kind of fitting sometimes, you know, in that situation, not that you're going to be intentionally dishonoring, but you may have to be more severe than you would be um, in a performance situation. Would you extend a severance offer to somebody you terminated? I think it would depend on the situation. Part of the reason that you use a severance agreement is, or that you that you provide a severance, is to get a severance agreement that releases the company of liability mm-hmm. signed, and so it's it's an incentive for that. So sometimes, even though it's not earned or deserved, it can be useful to protect you um, from a legal standpoint. So that would probably be my first consideration in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, if if it were a termination for performance issues um, that were not egregious in some way, then I would certainly consider it. So I would say in most cases we do, um, and, and primarily for legal reasons. So then another issue that's important is, and part of the how, is you need to check with your HR mm-hmm. department if you have one. If you don't, then there are some other opportunities. You know, check with your corporate counsel if you have outside counsel or check with an HR professional if you've got an HR professional that you rely on. But it's so complicated today. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that you don't regret how you did it right. after the fact because that can become the basis of a lawsuit or it can become a basis of, of just – Just drama. Yeah, you know, just drama and reputation yeah. uh, damage. So you got to check with your HR department. And make sure you're following the process that because that does protect you legally. Right. We generally consult our labor attorney anytime we have an HR issue like this come up. Um, so we're clear on, you know, if there are particular considerations that need to be thought through. Um, but in general, we go into those conversations with talking points, with all the documentation prepared in advance, meaning if there's a severance agreement that's prepared in advance, uh, the the employee, former employee walks out with a folder that has all their information very clearly stated. We don't provide the talking points for the terminations. In other words, the reasons for why someone's terminated, they're not going to walk out with our talking points. You know, that's kind of our confidential material, uh, but those are certainly documented for our own files and so forth. I would say in those talking points, it's important to start with the conclusion. Yep. So when somebody walks into your office, and in our situation, it's usually going to be the hiring manager yes. or the supervisor, plus somebody from HR, right? So immediately, they know what's going on. Right. And if you beat around the bush, all you do is make everybody miserable. So I always, always, always start with the conclusion. You know, we're here to talk about terminating your employment with the company. And then I say, I always make a, a point to say, 
this is non-negotiable or it's irrevocable. The, the, yeah, the decision has been made. We're not going to just we're not going to negotiate this. That's not what this is about. We've made the decision after a process. Right. And then I like to give them in the talking points. You know, here's why. Yep. And make it very clear, very succinct. I'm not going to get into a debate with the person mm-hmm. or an argument with the person because all that's happened prior to this. Yes. But here's why, so that you're clear. And here's what that means. Here's what's happening following this meeting. You know, you're going to you're going to go with Danielle and you're going to be talking about, you know, whatever it is, the paperwork you need to sign or yeah. you know, you're you're losing access to uh your major accounts here, whatever it is. Yes. But you got to be clear. You got to be very clear and you have to have your ducks in a row. So besides the documentation, you know, we're going to have all of the things in place to offboard them. You know, we have a whole protocol for that. Is that a word? It's it's a thing. Um, And, you know, we have our, the the person that handles all of our technology queued up and ready to go in the office at that point so that, you know, if they brought their technology with them, you know, like if they were just thought they were coming to a meeting, then we'll go ahead and confiscate their laptop, et cetera. You know, at that point, their key fob, things like that. If not, then we have a form that's prepared for them to send all those things back. And we immediately shut out their access to, um, you know, Slack and various other accounts that they would have access to take their credit card, you know, things like that. Now make so, it clear that this is in the case of a termination. If it was a layoff. Yeah. I, I wouldn't do the same thing. No, no, you know, no I, I'm, of course I'm not, not going to just like, you know, escort them out of the building. Right. You know, that's going to be a, a period. Like, like we've got a situation right now where somebody resigned like six weeks ago. Yes. And is still working for us. Right. We know it's coming to uh, a head. They still have all their same equipment, all that stuff, because right. that's a completely different context. Right. That was a mutual agreement and it's very positive and it's ending very well. So that's a totally different situation with a different set of protocols. Well, there's another issue here that we haven't talked about, and, and that is how to communicate this within the company. Because when somebody gets uh, terminated, everybody knows uh, eventually. So how do you communicate that? Or do you? Or what's the strategy? Yeah, we absolutely do it. And we do it immediately because people are going to notice their absence, right? <laughs> right? You know, once that person disappears, people are wondering, you know, what happened to Joe? And so you've got to be immediate about it. And, you know, if possible, and certainly in our situations, we've called the team together. You know, if you can get everybody together in person, fantastic. If you can't do that, then, you know, the next best is to do a video conference. And probably the next best from that is just to post in Slack or whatever. But you've got to communicate it. Because if you don't, then what's going to happen is a story or a narrative is going to begin in your company about why that person was let go and what happened. And you want to have the talking points for that too, because you want to be crystal clear about who got fired, why they got fired, what that means for the rest of us. Right. And people, frankly, need to be reassured. You know, that this wasn't a layoff. This wasn't the beginning of bad things. You know, they, they need to know that, look, this is a one and done thing, if it is. And, and so they can, can go back to some semblance of certainty. I think it's important as you're considering your talking points about why someone was fired uh, to consult your labor attorney on this, because there are certain things that, you know, are more and less risky to share. So for example, we would be in a confidential setting with our executive team, have more disclosure perhaps about what happened than we would share in detail with our larger team. Um, and that's part of how you handle a situation with dignity too. You know, our our aim is not to uh, humiliate or embarrass the person who was fired. 
And we also want our team to know that we fired for cause and generally kind of what the the big picture issue was. But we're not going to get into the nitty gritty details. We're not going to share a play by play. That's not necessary. Um, You know, it's not really humane. And it's not wise from a risk management standpoint. We're not um, trying to destroy the reputation of that person. Obviously, we're not going to share about it um, on social media or anywhere else. We're not going to vent about it publicly in any way. I mean, you just, again, remember professionalism. It's critical. Today, we've learned that healthy terminations make for a healthy company if you fire underperformance or misconduct, fire quickly, and fire with dignity and respect. Uh, guys, I can I ask you a personal question as we wrap it up today? Sure. Yeah. You know, as a leader, uh, I've been in a position of having to terminate uh, team members. And uh, there's a lot of energy that the organization puts around the person who's let go because everybody identifies with them and they feel that pain with them. But uh, it's hard on a leader, So how do you handle the mental game of having to gear up for this kind of confrontation? Well, it is really hard. Um, I think if it ever becomes easy, you've probably lost touch with uh, some part of your soul that has put you at risk. So that's important to remember. In fact, um, one of the HR consultants that we work with regularly, who uh, told me once that he had fired thousands of people, you know, a couple of thousand people. And he's and I said, I mean, is it just kind of like not a big deal at some point, like you can just go in and do it with your eyes closed. And he said, never, you know, and if it ever is, I would be very concerned because these are real people. And so it weighs heavily on you, whether you're doing it for the first time, or the 2000th time, you know, it's it's a big deal. Um, you know, I think it's it's really important to recognize that this is just part of leadership, that the health and well-being of your organization is ultimately your responsibility. And that means you have to make hard decisions. So just kind of accepting that it's part of the job uh, is a big deal. But then second of all, um, knowing that your job in particular is to protect the health and well-being of the company, even if that means letting someone go, you know, that that your ultimate accountability is to the larger team. And usually when you let someone go and you, when you uh, fire them, you're removing um, someone who is uh, adversely affecting the culture of your company. And that's, that's really important to do. I think finally, you know, what I would say to myself is this is going to be hard but you can do it and you can do it with dignity and then you're free to have your emotions later. So in other words, uh, as our friend Ian Cron once told me, you know, just put your feelings on ice. You know, you don't want to, and I don't, by that, I don't mean being cold to the other person. I just mean, it's not about you. You can have your feelings later and you go in and you be professional and you kind of be the steady force in that meeting. Um, And then you give yourself space to just really feel upset about it, to feel sad, uh, to feel angry, all the natural human emotions that any leader would feel. Um, But you don't do that in the conversation with the other person. Wow, that's an excellent answer. I don't have much to add to it, but I would say this. I think one of the things that is so important about leadership is courage. Mm-hmm. And you know, we talk a lot about having the right skills, having the right character, having the right strengths and all that. But I think so many times, and this is like cliche now, but doing it scared is usually how I've done it. So I go into those meetings you know, with cold hands and every single time trembling voice, and mm-hmm. you know it's scary, and I don't know why, and and it's and it's often an out of out of the body experience, you know, where I'm feeling like I can't believe it's come to this, and we're actually doing this, and this person's no longer going to be in the company, and I just had to be committed 
to doing it scared and going through the motions. And that part does get easier because I know I'm going to live through this. I'm not going to die. That person's going to be okay. This is hopefully going to be something that for them will be a defining moment in their life that's going to make them better, you know, if they receive it and move on. So I kind of reframe it in my own mind like that. You know, this is necessary for the company. It's going to be good for the person if they receive it. And it's good for my leadership to take the initiative and to be able to deliver this news. Well, Michael and Megan, thank you for walking us through a very difficult subject today. You're welcome. Thanks for guiding us. So thanks for joining us on Lead to Win and join us next week when we'll talk about one of the biggest problems every business leader faces, how to get people to help you. Until then, Lead to Win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbooks, a book club to help you automate and accelerate your professional development. Find out more at leaderbooks.com.